The Sarah Lawrence Theater Program works, learns, and lives on the land of the Lenape, Munsee, and Wappinger peoples. We pay respect to the ancestors past, present, and future. The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College. After which, we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us. But how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration. Reflect on past performances and projects and keep us up to date on what is next stay tuned for the performance lab podcast welcome to the performance lab podcast my name is jillian i'm a first year theater grad at sarah lawrence college and i'm michelle a second year theater grad hello and today we have with us will freers hi will hello will freers is an award-winning theater and film director in the directory of the mercury store his New York credits include Misery on Broadway, Still Life at MCC, The Water's Edge at Second Stage, Penn at Playwrights Horizons, Terrorism at the New Group and Play Company, Rainbow Kiss at the Play Company, Where We're Born at Rattlestick, God Hates the Irish at Rattlestick, and is a Pulitzer finalist for the Omnium Gatherum. His film credits include All Saints Day and Coach. His writing has appeared in the Paris Review, New York Magazine, the London Review of Books, and eight by eight. He holds a BA from Sarah Lawrence College and an MFA from the Yale School of Drama. Um, welcome, Will. So Will, you were with us in Grad Lab a couple of days ago and you talked with us a bit about the Mercury Store. Um, can you briefly describe the mission of the Mercury Store and what led up to its founding for you? Yes, I mean, they're, they're, they're very intertwined. The, the mission of the Mercury Store is really to sort of ask the question of like, what does it mean to write a draft in three dimensions? So it's a space for theatre artists to sort of develop their work, develop an idea, think about an idea, have an idea uh, without the pressures of production or audience um, or any or as few expectations as possible, really, whilst having the resources to actually look at something. So with a budget and actors and some technical capabilities. And that's really sort of the whole idea. Um, and it was really sort of born out of, born out of some degree of frustration with my own career as a director and the sort of understanding that, you know, what would, it, I mean, really to go back to the thing I said about like, what would it mean to stand in the middle of a room and say, well, what am I doing? What do I mean? What do I need here? And realizing that that was a sort of fairly systemic problem in the, or a systemic issue problems that probably the too big a work. But that was a systemic thing and it was a space that didn't exist um that a lot of the life of a director of the kind i was was itinerant and you sort of moved from one person's space to another person's space and what would it be like to have a space uh, both a space of your own and a space to be in community with other artists also worked in three dimensions so it was born out of those those sort of two ideas in your dream world, where do you see the Mercury store in 5, 10, 20 years? What do you think the trajectory of the work looks like for you? I mean, there's there's the more and the less hubristic version of, of that. So in the on my quieter days, I think, just sort of keep doing what we are, keep sort of adding programs, keep providing these same sort of opportunities and finding sort of endlessly more and more interesting artists to avail themselves of them and to sort of make the building as much of a hive as possible and as much of a kind of multi-generational, multidisciplinary hive as possible, but still 
very much, you know, there's a part of the model is to create, part of the idea of the model is to create a sort of working structure that doesn't put too much stress on everybody. So we keep it Monday to Friday, 10 to six, very deliberately. So in, like I said, in the quieter version, expanding that without turning it into a factory. Um, in the more hubristic version, I mean, I think the more hubristic version is there are more things like the Mercury store that it's an idea that doesn't sort of just live in one, one building in Guanis, but the way that like things beget things, um, that this that this will become a way of of working and that sort of that 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 will become you know the moment we're an outlier and I think moving moving not all the way to the center but nearer the center is the sort of the scale of our ambitions and and still that idea which I think is sort of crucial to the thing of like lots of different artists working to get working together working alongside being in collaboration talking to each other about their work having a sense of authorship of the work that that idea expands like I said beyond one building in Kiwanis and now into the wider world but that's the more hubristic version. I'm curious what kinds of like what you come up against so since this is such a um like it's, it's a unique proposal right like you, right now you are the outlier so what are like what are the systems or what are the things that you're coming up against in trying to make this happen? I mean very few to be honest I mean what's nice is to that you know, having spent having spent so long as a director, it's not, and having talked to so many other directors as as the idea was being developed, there's not a great deal of resistance. I mean, in a sense, it sort of feels more like you invented a thing that everyone wanted you to invent. So you don't have to you have to convince people. You just have to provide them with the opportunities. And so there hasn't been. I mean, how to what are the challenges? How to not become an institution that has a way of doing things that doesn't make space for the artist is an ongoing. You know, now that we've, I mean, now that we've been around for a whole nine months, you know, and, and therefore feel more like a real space and less like an idea, the challenge is sort of how to keep, how to keep it alive, how to keep it already feels like how to keep it alive, how to do it differently next year to sort of own all the ways in which we've made mistakes, all the ways that we're propagating old systems because we weren't paying attention. And there's a, there's a sort of force that makes you want to become an institution that sort of institutionalizes you. And how do you make an institution that works for the people that it's meant to work for, not for itself, feels today like the big challenge. And sort of that's partly because, you know, I spent 15 years as a freelance director. And so I sort of understood some of the concerns, some of the anxieties. I had I had my sort of Gladwell-esque 10,000 hours in that. Whereas running an institution is a completely new idea for me. And so I'm, I'm much quicker to make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. Um, and so learning, learning how to do it better and learning how to do it without falling into the way it's always been done, which is also the way that I'm indoctrinated into the way it's been done. So sort of resisting, resisting that temptation. I'm curious what the, if you can talk a little bit more about the specific problems that you're solving with Mercury Store, like what are the traditional things you found directors come up against that you specifically like can point to a thing and be like, this is how I fixed it. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I mean, fixing is, a, it's really not fixing. It's really just a kind of, it's just a respite from the, from the model. It's really that it is to go back to this idea about like writing a draft in three dimensions to sort of look at form, look at the way you make a thing and say, well, what does it mean if I make it that way? And what does it mean if I make it that way? What do I mean? And to sort of really look at that as a form and not to either sort of fall back into realism 
into sort of the tropes of, of psychological realism and not to be avant-garde for the sake of it, but to really to really sort of say like I'm building a thing and to work in, in drafts of building. So it's the way, you know, one of the things I admire so immensely about playwrights is they share drafts with each other. I wrote a draft of a play, will you read it? Will you give me notes? And you're like, that's an amazingly generous offer from a writer and the thing with directors is quite often you're like, will you come to my preview and don't tell me I have to change anything because the door's already put there. So just taking that back and saying, I've, I've made a draft of saying, I've got 10 minutes. Will you just come and look at it and tell me what you see? So that's, that. it's sort of not like, it's not resistance as much as like that simply didn't exist before or it only existed inside of like a very clear path to production. And one of the, again, extraordinary things about playwrights is they write often for the pleasure of writing or to explore something. I mean, that's a, they wouldn't, they would, they wouldn't, not for the pleasure of writing, but for the task of writing, the craft of writing, to write something, to know what it's like to write something like that, to have an idea, to pursue something down a dead end and then discover at the dead end that there was somewhere they didn't know they were going, that they've ended up. And directing is so, can so often feel like someone else's development. And this isn't true of sort of devising directors. There's a, this is just true of the director I was, which was really sort of other people's work. Devising directors are far more imaginative in this way than I was, but really to sort of be like, to not to no space in between where I try to figure out what I'm actually doing here. And that's with working with a playwright to say like, well, what does your play look like? What, do, what does it sound like? What far apart should the actors be from each other? You know, how many actors, how many voices? What are all of those questions? And you're only ever solving them in rehearsal or by guessing on your first impulse and never saying, well, what would it be like with two? What would it be like with four? What would it be like backwards? So it's really just a sort of an opportunity to do that, really. In watching all, I was looking at your website and you have like a list of what some of the most incredible people working today, in my mind, who have been sort of through the Mercury store in the last nine months, you said, like in watching those people work and you sort of described the ways, some of them you like would come in for parts of it and some of them you didn't see at all. So there was sort of, some, I understand there was some variation and in your interaction with them and the work they were doing, but in watching them work or in talking to them about their work, is there anything that you feel like you've learned about the craft of directing? Oh my God, I mean, I mean, everything about the craft of directing, you know, it's extraordinary to go to see all these artists sort of make things so differently and to be like, oh, you could do that. Oh, you could do that. Oh, you could talk about your work that way. So that every, it's the most extraordinary sort of, it's very, very affirming of, of the idea of directing of like, oh, you could, of just the sort of multiplicity of views and just sort of like completely other ways of working, completely different ways of like, I mean, really sort of dull things that I didn't know about, like to do with sort of repetition and prompt and other ways of working with actors and like, having a different idea. I mean, it never stops being different. And I, and what the couple of times I've gone back in, I felt like, a, a, I mean, I don't know, better, a, a more interesting director than I was and much less, much more able to ask a question than answer it, which I think is what we're, we're, we're aspiring to. So it just changes all the time to be like, oh, that's what you, and also to be like, oh, that's what you do. You know, there's something about like, oh, that's how you do something. That's how, you, that's where you are three days into your process. That's where I am three days into my process. Oh, look, you changed everything from last week. So it's just sort of like an extraordinary opportunity to like see all these brilliant people in quite a vulnerable space, sort of in the act of creation. It's an incredible 
opportunity and an incredible way of, of, of thinking about directing. What's the best advice you've ever received as a director, or if you could go back and tell your younger self, a younger director, you uh, a piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? I mean, when I first, I was first, I bad start rehearsal for my first play at Sarah Lawrence. And I went to see an old family friend who was, who's the most amazing human being, a man called Carol Rice, who came over from Czechoslovakia to England on a kinder transport and then sort of invent in the 1960s have invented a whole new style of cinema and then later in his career became a dazzling theatre director and the most of wise the wisest person I knew and um I went to see him and he was doing a play in New York and I, I'd known him forever and I went to see him and to be like what should I do expecting him to like you know tell me about like how to stage or like this is what you must always say yeah he said he said, all you have to do, in his very wise way, he said, all you have to do is say, I don't know. And when I was working the other week, I was like, oh, I think I just said that for the first time. Like, I finally understood what it meant to be like, I don't know. The actor asked me a question and I said, I don't know. And they went, okay. And then five minutes later, I was like, oh, but I think maybe this. And it was an extraordinary moment. And that, it was, I mean, it was a, you know, it's a very simple piece of advice. It took me 30 years to understand this much of what he meant. And so to go back, I'd like to have done that earlier. I'd like to have been able to stand there and say, I don't know sooner. And then I also think I'd like to have found, found an easier transition into knowing what I was interested in. That I think I sort of, I very actively tried to not, to be a sort of freelancer and as like, just making something up. And I, I never, it took me a long time to acknowledge like what I might be good at. And, equally importantly, what I wasn't very good at, and to have a sort of, to have had a, an earlier conversation about the work I wanted to make and be more discerning or to know why I was doing things. I'm doing this because I'm interested in this, I'm doing this because it's my health insurance and I know the difference between those two things would have been a real opportunity, would have been, a, is a thing I would have liked to have been better at when I was making my start. I feel like this thing about being able to say I don't know as a director feels really profound, not just for directors, but like in terms of leadership in general. And I'm curious, like, um, as the leader of this institution, like, how does do those things bleed into each other for you? And maybe also sort of calling back earlier, you were talking about like, you know, I've had my 10,000 hours as a director, I have not had my 10,000 hours as a leader. No, I mean, I should also confess before I am, um, before I sound like I'm really good at this, I don't know thing, that my wife recently suggested that I should do a podcast called I Don't Know But If I Had to Guess. Um, so that, you know, there is a sense that I think I know much more than I do. So it's really sort of trying to, to model and trying to model for myself an inquisitiveness about, about what I do to know that like my first impulse isn't necessarily the correct one usually it's invariably it's the correct one, but also that it's worth paying attention to, to see why, well, why did I think of that first? And to sort of try and follow, follow the thread of the concern until it leads to an interesting place and also not discount the idea for being quick. And the people I work with are sort of extraordinary at like joining that conversation. So it's a thing that we try to do throughout the thing of like, well, what does that mean? Why are we doing that? Say, say more about that is a thing we try and say a lot to each other like if we don't understand say more tell me more talk more um 
so that's sort of which we're in favor of more talking and more moving slowly and talking fast and moving slow is I think what we're trying to get at. And you talked also earlier about some of the ways in which even when you try not to, institutions can sort of recreate a lot of the harm that already exists, even in an institution like this, that's built to be different and to be structured differently and to support people differently. How are you moving through those kinds of um, conflicts when they come up or those kinds of questions? And maybe what, what are some of them? I mean, slowly and carefully is the answer. You know, it's very important to, li I mean, to listen a lot and to sort of say like, you know, you somebody says, I think your back goes up because you're a member of human race and you don't. And then to sort of take everything in good faith, listen and try to remember that like, and it's always okay to make a mistake once. Um, I mean, that's not true if you're in charge of a nuclear submarine, but under almost any other circumstances, it's okay to make a mistake once. And to just sort of keep a very, to acknowledge the space you take up in the institution, the privilege that you walk in with, the ways in which the, the way you see yourself and the way that you are seen aren't necessarily the same. And you can't ask people to hold on to your idea of yourself and you have to be answerable to their idea about you because you brought them in. And I think that's a large and important part of things like to hold yourself accountable for the people you've chosen, who who you've invited in, who you've chosen, who don't, you know, and that's the largest part of it is you have to hold yourself endlessly accountable for everything, which is different always from finding yourself guilty, if that makes sense. It's not a thing about like, you know, you, you make mistakes and you listen and you don't make them again. But if you can hold yourself accountable and people see that you do, that's how you do it. Well, that, no, that's not how you do it. That's how you try to do it. I have no idea if, if you if that's my sense of it is to not is to listen, listen a lot, and know that we're starting out, we're making mistakes. I mean, ten thousand hours as a director, and I make mistakes every day. I just sort of know that I'm more likely to know that I recover from them. Whereas here, the sort of and to whereas part of the job of being the leader is like to not be that interested in my vulnerability, like you know, you got to go to work and you have to hold yourself accountable even when it's not. Yeah, all the time. Hold yourself accountable. That's the, that's the, and to listen when, and to ask other people to do so and to listen when they do. Invite other people to hold you accountable and then listen when they do. Wise words, thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, sort of, we're pivoting a little bit. You talked a little bit about Hamlet or we talked a lot about Hamlet as a class. And we sort of the general question is like, what are you curious about right now? It might be that, it might be something else, but maybe just sort of open floor to what's holding your attention in this moment. As a director or as a, I mean, I'm always, Hamlet's been a sort of, I saw Hamlet for the first time when I was like seven. I've been interested in it sort of forever. And I'm, I was talking to a friend of mine about it the other night and saying that it was really interesting to him because I didn't think I was Hamlet anymore. And he was like, well, that's what's interesting now is now you're ham now you're interested in like not the person you are anymore. And there's something fascinating about that. So that's that's on my mind. And then, you know, it's still trying to like, how do we, how does this get better? How do, how do we work on the space? How do we, you know, we've we started well and that's not enough. So now what's on my mind is like, what are the structures? I mean, it's the moment you say structures, you feel like you're like cementing things in and you're just gonna cause damage by putting structures in. So it's a sort of, 
it's an endless paradox, but like, how can we put in structures that don't make other people feel structured? Um, and that's what's on my mind. It's like, how do we, as an institution, look after the people that work here, that work here day to day, week to week? How do we codify those things so that people want to come to work and that work, whilst it has its attendant problems and difficulties, is a source of positivity, whilst not becoming so good at looking after ourselves that we stop being good hosts to the art to the artists that we bring in. And that's the large, that's the sort of largest questions on my mind about the thing is how do you hold both of those things together? I mean, I've I've worked at a million theaters where you're like, I'm the director and as a friend of mine said, like, there's nowhere to put your bag. So how do we make sure there's room, there's space for people to put their bag, whilst also understanding that this is for other people, like their place of employment all the time. And those wants and needs and desires like, might at times be contradictory. And how do you allow for those contradictions? So mostly sort of like the Hamlet thing, most, most of what I'm thinking about most of the time is contradictions and how to not resolve them, but how to, how to live comfortably within them or live uncomfortably with, how to live within them. Can you talk a little bit more about um, the balance between keeping artistic fulfillment and giving yourself space and what practices you use to keep generating these ideas and art while still maintaining a business and keeping yourself accountable to those on the payroll and those in the building, et cetera? I mean, I try not to have too many art ideas is the first thing. And, and when I do, they usually roll my, you know, the rest of them roll their eyes. So I say, oh, I could do a Hamlet week and they just look at me like, so I try not to do too much of that. And I try to like, I try to like, you know, I try to keep my own life relatively simple. Like I try to leave in time to have dinner with my kids every night, you know, every night. And I assume other people sort of want the same things that aren't like not the kids part, but like that they have places they have to go at six o'clock. And that like between the hours of 10 and six, their job should be interesting and challenging and difficult and all the things that like a life and work can be, but also that it's only like, it's only part of their lives. And to keep hold of that idea all the time, they're like, this is just, you know, the nice thing about starting a thing when you're middle-aged is like, I'm too old for fat, for like to be a founder. I can't, even if I wanted to, I couldn't work 20 hours a day. Like, you know, I don't have, I don't have the muscle anymore. And so I want to run it as a middle-aged person, which is a little bit kind of, those wishes are different. So I don't want to be up till three in the morning. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a race to see who gets here earliest. I don't want to see who's working the hardest on Sunday because I don't want to do any of those things. So I don't think anybody else should have to either, that we should all, not there to be middle-aged, uh, but that like, it's a little bit of a thing I've learned. And it's a thing that I try to, as I was thinking about the institution, it was really important to me that that was also, that was true all the time in it. So like, what are the rules? What are the systems? What are the structures you can put in place that don't, but like I said, but also, I mean, the Monday, Friday one is the easiest example. Like we work Monday to Friday, 10 to six, because we work Monday to Friday, 10 to six, but it's asking, and it asks a difficult question of people who don't necessarily have access to working during the day. So one of the questions is like, well, how do we serve, you know, artists who need, who are still in their lives working in the evenings? How do we do that without asking the staff to work from 10 in the morning to 11 at night? How do you avoid martyrdom is, is like a large part of 
of the question. How do we, if we use resources at night, where are they taken away from? So it's just, endless, you know, everything is, everything is that. Like, well, if we did that, then we can't do that. Or can we do both? How can we do them differently? What's a different way to think about them? You know, it's, it's sort of nothing more interesting than like how to utilize the hours in the day in the end without asking anybody to be on their phone, you know, glued to their email at 11 o'clock at night or working on Sunday or any of those things. How do you model that? And then the sort of great, the art experiment of that is like, what's that gonna make? What will it make? What is made if you change the work? So that's the art experiment. So the building, so to pull the two things together, the building is an art experiment. And the, but we're not making the art. The art is being made inside of a piece of conceptual art that we've come up with, which is like, if you do these conditions, what happens to the work that gets made in that? Because it might turn out as is often the case that like art is born of a certain kind of suffering, in which case we've made a category error and we should be thinking about unhappiness. What happens if art comes out of happiness? You know, what not happiness is a lot to ask of anyone, but like what happens if you try to if you try to change the way people make work? What does it do to the work? And that's the sort of Particularly in the theatre, I don't think that's, I don't know enough about any other field to speak about that. In the theatre in which that sort of constant unhappiness is like a thing that is expected, what happens if it's not? What happens to the work if that's taken away, if you give people those opportunities? And pro provide, give is an awful word. If you provide those opportunities, and then you get this amazing thing about, which is like, or you see all these amazing things get born. And it's an extraordinary privilege to be there to see people have these ideas, you know? So it's a real, it feels incredibly reciprocal. And how do you keep making it more reciprocal and for more people? You know, I said to someone the other day, I was like, you know, the problem is it's real estate in the end. We have three studios and there's only so many weeks in the year. And we said like, you know, it'd be really sad if it was always the same people working in the studios. And it'd be really sad if it was all new people. And like, how do you hold those two lines? It's just that, it's just endless paradox and how do you try to sort of cope? There is the, um, I, I was trying to look it up again because like, I forget the name of the program that's also sort of for younger directors or, and, and that's, is that something that's in the works? No, we have a lab. About... We started a lab this season for emerging and early career directors, which we do. And it's been one of the things that I think is so extraordinary about what playwrights do is they're so intergenerational and so this thing of like, it's it's a lab and we have these emerging artists and we pair them with, you know, mid-career or more established directors and then they're in conversation and the, the lab participant makes a thing and then we all watch it and we talk about it. And it's still just that thing about like, what does it mean to talk about our work? What does it mean to have a craft? What does it mean to make a thing? What does it mean to, who makes a thing? What thing is made? And how do we talk about that thing? And how do we develop a language? talk about our work so the lab is sort of like it's all the same ideas of the mercury story it's just starting at a different place and i my hope and my sense is that it's just one of like many programs that we're trying to fit. it was just the one we could it was the one we could do during covid most coherently the other ones are deliberately messier and so they require both a little more planning and also a little more sense of the world feeling comfortable sort of throwing lots of people into a room together. Um, but the idea is to keep iterating endless ideas along that theme, sort of to see how far within the confines of the building 
how many different ideas we can have and how many constituencies we can serve. That's great. Well, I really look forward to seeing how that develops and what else happens in the Mercury store and beyond. And I think that that's our time. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to meet you and chat with you. More certainly. Come come see me. Come when you when you get out or before you get out, just come. Absolutely, yeah. I would, I would love to stop by. It looks, looks like, are you there now? Are you in the space? Yeah, this, yeah this, I mean, this is just, you know, that's my office. My office. <laughs> Amazing. So in the admin there. Full of potential. Yes. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, thank you, Will. Thank you, Will. The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network. In association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.slctheater.com.